we're in Psalm 96, obviously, from the misdated sermon notes. Um, it's been seven, eight years since I've been in this passage. Um, but sometimes when you revisit something, what you were thinking about seven, eight years ago, and how that passage applied to your thinking at the moment, um, is different than what you'd see today. But also you go back and look at your notes and you realize, you know, you see some things, a decade later, you're still thinking along the same lines. You're still developing your mind about the scriptures. I had a friend tell me this week uh, that his brother had given a test at the end of a leadership training session he did, and it was a take-home test, and you had five years. And this guy's a Marine, and he keeps checking in on the guys who took the seminar. Are you done with your test yet? You know, five years, you know, years into it. That's what our life is before the Word, and our life is thinking about the things of God. We're filling in blanks that we need time to learn. Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your Word, both to history and to your good hand in it, that we would be able to sit together at the other side of the world and in our language read the message. In your Son's name, amen. Well, Psalm 96, short, 13 verses. I took some liberties. You say, Evan, you take liberties every week. Well, I took some real broad liberties. I, um, instead of having the word Lord in there, whenever it is all caps in your text, it means the word, the name of God is there. Lord is not the name of God. Yahweh is the name of God. And so, since the text actually says Yahweh, I went through with my search thing and grabbed all the times the Lord was written out and replaced it with Yahweh. So, if you look at your Bible, it won't sing to the Lord a new song. We kind of, I, I want to remind us to, to at least mentally do that when you see it in the text, because we were told to remember his name when he gave his name to Moses at the burning bush. We were told to remember it. And this is the way he was supposed to be remembered. And he is a God by that name. And uh, it tends to move it to a more personal engagement. No, we're not going to base the new cult around Yahweh worship. But uh, he is our God. That is who Christ is. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh. Bless his, oddly enough, name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Now, if we put Lord back in there, that would even get more religious. It would sound like a psalm, the perfect, well you say it is a psalm, but it would sound like the perfect generic psalmy talk. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Oh, yay, all the earth skipping lambs. And, and now we're, we're having um, 
good things said about our God. Good things. I don't know if you, you know, we sing hymns here, and some wonderful things are said by the poets. And sometimes, I always want to encourage you to read the poetry and to mean the poetry, not just theologically, but mean it for the glory that is, it is suggesting. Because certain things are being told here. That a new song, everybody, all the earth, everybody, everything, it's not just everybody on it, but everything on it. Be positive about your God. Bless his name, right? You're supposed to... I'm supposed to be crafting new music. I'm supposed to be realizing that the whole earth should be in this song with us. It's supposed to be recognizing the great good of God. What a We talked about it last week in Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So, okay, new songs, not just when you're at some music conference and you come together with a new guitar and somebody learned a new chord, so they learn to put it together and sing a new song. Well, that's good. Day to day, every day, demarcated, going through time, whatever you want to call it. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. This is supposed to go someplace. It's a pretty big... Um, it's, again, I just don't want it to be swept off the, you know, the stage as a, as a uh, let's just do generic Christian worship. And I don't think this is here to affect your worship, as you would call our getting together and, and singing hymns of a Sunday morning or, or praise songs, whatever, wherever you go. This is a measure of our God. That we, I don't know if you remember that scene in, in Monty Python. No, was, was it Monty Python? Yeah where the young guy in the castle, he just wants to sing, and his very, very gruff father wants him to marry the large Anglo-Saxon wench downstairs, and he just wants to sing. We're like the effeminate son who wants to sing. We want to sing. Have you ever wanted to sing? Not just when Bohemian Rhapsody comes on and you're in an enclosed space, but when you're walking down the street and God is good or some circumstance is good you might feel it if you were in love you know, you, you met her the girl of your dreams and you haven't let, yet learned that she hadn't met the guy of hers uh, but for a while there you wanted to sing you know what that means. I don't care if you're a good voice or you can write music or whatever, but wanting to sing or thankful to musicians for providing you with a great love song so you can sing it. And as those of you who like hymns, who find that, boy, what a great way to express things I couldn't write myself. We know that it gets to a certain point. We're not just odd religious people. We 
we find ourselves recognizing a great thing, something worth blessing this way in his salvation. He is, his goodness needs to be told to the whole world. Now, the question, you know, pushing us forward on all of it is the whys. Because we know that we, nobody objects to this saying, I don't think you should ever sing a new song, I don't think you should tell anyone else, and I don't think you should bless him or, or declare his glory to the next. I just don't think any of this is valid. No. They, they don't object to what the psalmist just said. They, they're, they've got a hidden, something's wrong. Something's wrong in the machinery that keeps something they approve of completely. If they take these instructions and say, do I approve of these? Not approve. Every Christian is going to approve. But oddly enough, every Christian won't be doing it. So we have to examine why. We have to examine what's going on in our minds. It tells you, verse 4, for great is Yahweh. There you go. He's great. And, consequently, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Huh. I'd introduce something there. Above all gods. Now, we have a, a problem in the modern world, secular humanism. We were talking about whether the liberal mindset today is it a religion. Maybe they're making all sorts of moral transcendent claims, but without a transcendent source for it. They don't have a God. They didn't invent. We were talking about superstitious people. You know, my mother-in-law was superstitious. And, uh, I mean, darkly so, you know, things that she didn't understand or make claims about, but just did. Uh, I think I told you about, we were just engaged before the wedding, and we, we were walking through a mall in San Diego, and, and we were walking up to a pillar, and Leslie was going on one side and I was going on the other, and my mother-in-law grabbed me by the shoulders and dragged me onto the right side of the pillar because nothing was supposed to come between you before your wedding. You see the sense? There's science in that. Because between you and coming between you. Okay. Now, my mother-in-law, God bless her, she's gone on, not a believer, but her superstition at least believed there were forces. Transcendent things that if you didn't throw salt over your shoulder or knock on wood, they would have at you and ruin your luck, whatever it was. The liberal, on the other hand, wants to be all transcendently bossy about what you believe is good and true and makes no claim other than that they are really important to themselves. That is it. There is no, there is no, we're kind of afraid of this God who has these standards about that we're trying to make you do, so you better do it. So we have a problem. We live in a world where the closest thing to a devout religious feeling are liberals without a God, and to the superstitious with strangely malevolent, you know, forces. The Christians have hammered all life out of our faith. So we have to be reminded, if we're going to 
sing a new song to all the earth, blessing his name, declaring his glory. Our why had better pick some things up about how great he is. And his step into the arena of actual theology, which says, okay, the gods, how great is Yahweh? Well, better than yours. Now, this will help you. You've had children, perhaps, some of you. Some of you who had children a while ago have now had grandchildren. I've seen some of them wandering the aisles of this church. Let's be frank. Mine are higher quality than yours. My grandchildren, I don't care about my grandchildren, but they're better than yours. Better looking, smarter. Oh, I don't know what else. They've got a great career ahead of them. Who knows? We know what that feels like, right? I'm better than you. Here, hold my trophy while I kiss your girlfriend. We, we know what dominance is like. Maybe we're a little bit afraid of being this dominant. He's feared above all gods. Now what? You say, are you allowed to say that? Isn't that kind of not showing respect? You're not supposed to downgrade. It's in the law. You're not supposed to be killed of the gods. But what they, where they are, and what they're measured at, you're supposed to know. And you're never supposed to make them equal to the most high God. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. You say, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I see. He's the only God that exists. Well, it doesn't say that. You're thinking idol as is the graven image of which is in the Ten Commandments. You're not allowed to make a graven image. That word's a different word. I don't know the language, but I looked it up. It's a different word. This word means worthless. Futile. All the other gods. I think there's a kind of a, a statement about whether it's a false god made up of an idol or a false god just meant, you know, who's not that much, the god of a certain hilltop. They're worthless. They're made. He is to be feared above all the gods, for they're all worthless. Look at what he compares it to. But Yahweh made the heavens. So when we say, when I pray at the beginning of the sermon service after the first hymn, Dear Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, you're making a claim about his greatness that is so far and away above all worthless spiritual entities who don't have that much. They're made beings, just like you're a made being. And all the efforts of all the gods are nothing compared to what our God has done. Because you have to come to the conclusion that for great is Yahweh. He's better than the other gods. And I think sometimes we might be more impressed by the lower gods. I don't know what your belief is in the lower gods, but say Apollo was real, or Baal was real. Showed up at your place of employment. Glowing. They're handsome, too. Apollo. You know, all the girls dug him. 
So you meet a god, and they're being all godlike. We're thrilled. We need to know that our God, Yahweh, has stood so far and away above this. All that is, the gods are just players in the objective reality. He is the maker of the objective reality. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. A couple things. You're not just to be praised and he's greater. He is to be feared above all the gods. Because gods, who are just players, actors on the stage, really can be combated, really can be fought. But when you are the maker of the stage, remember, you're just living life out on a platform called the earth, and you're running around on it, following your best designs, eating up time in the play, telling a little story to yourself, singing a little praise song to yourself about yourself as you run through your college career and then into your graduate career and then into your job and then into your marriage and into your child and you brag about your grandkids in front of everybody else. And you're running around on the stage, your heart stops, you die, and you couldn't understand what happened. He is to be feared because he made the dang stage you're running around on. He is the source in all objective realities, including the objective reality of an ethic. The, the transcendent claim a Christian makes when Yahweh has said, this is wrong, it is wrong, and he will judge it as wrong. I was writing this out, and it's the stage you run, you act out on. You got, a little, you got a little play you're writing, right, in your head, which, you know, your, your mom, and you want your kids to turn out, and then your kids turn out, and then you start looking at your husband, you know, concernedly that he get a good, you know, hobby going, so he can, you can be charming and have enough time off to go places in your life together. You got a plan, you got a script to your writing. And I said, I wrote out, which you act out our little play, and it's so what do you say about little misbehaving children in Walmart? They're acting out. It's just that our plan is our plan. The little Johnny who's flipping out in the toy aisle at Walmart, we say he's acting out only because his plan is different than yours. Well, he's acting out because he has seized on what he wants to be and do, and he wants to own that bag of army men, and you said no. So he's flipping out, because that's what you should do when that happens. Like you have done, when you have not gotten what your play and your act has demanded of you as you scurried around on God's stage. Know who God is, how great is Yahweh, so that you're more inclined to sing a hymn to him than plan another bit of offense you could take because someone didn't sing a hymn to you. We don't sometimes, I'm in enough intellectual discussions where somebody says, well, I really don't think our view of creation is that important to the Christian life. 
Uh, think again, Skippy. It has everything to do with the Christian life. Because it makes a claim about whose world this is. Write your story, live with it, see how it turns out. But it's big. And it tells us in Romans 1, I'll make the comment, just I, I gave you the reference, Romans 1, 20. Ever since, I'm reading it to you now, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. One of my favorite verses. They knew, they saw, you were told by the very presence of it that you didn't make the stage you're running around on. Right? You didn't make the stage you're running around on. Somebody did, but I'm not going to think about that. We're so caught up. Say you're wandering down the street, you turn a corner, and you walk onto a stage set that's just got great sets. Just, you know, really convincing doors and walls and, and people walking by talking charming conversations. And, and you remember all your lines. And this is perfect for my idea of myself. And you start performing, you stop, you're so entranced by you. You say, Where, who built this? Who built the stage set I'm on? Because it should rem be remarkable to you, great is Yahweh, that he made all these things, his works, his marvelous works, almost hard to get underway with your, your own little play about, in my case, Evan Wilson. In a little play, playing Evan Wilson, just great. I'm at 64 right now. It's well into the play. Um, I'm pretty pleased. I write reasonably well. You guys need to get your lines down better because you aren't serving the interests of my play very well. Sometimes people think for themselves, that'll stop, please. I realized, I wrote it on my sermon notes last, or on my prayer request, uh, right before the sermon, I didn't preach on it, but I just had this thought, does your narrative include specific scripts for all in your life? There are people you think should be saying things. You're writing actually a script for them. You didn't give it to them, but you know they should have probably asked. And you have little offenses, little shock moments of horror where you've got to rewrite the script because they said something else. Now, I get calls like this. I mean, because I'm the pastor. Do you think they're mad at me? Are you out of your mind? You're just busy running around rewriting the script because you don't know what to do because somebody didn't follow what you wrote. Realize we should be talking more about our God. It's his script. It's his world. It's his play. We have uh, 
possibility of being given up to the futility of our minds, we tend to honor ourselves, look for honor ourselves, rather than honor for God. Um, we're, we're, I mean, we, you say, well, I'm not like a rock star or anything. Yeah, we're not. I could get used to that. I mean, just, just imagine a Sunday morning. I imagine these all the time. Pews are full instead of just a smattering of people. Preach a sermon like a rock star. Crowd leaps to their feet, holding their phones in the air at the end as I finish and come in for a landing. Just the applause just rocking the place. I could like that. We all sometimes feel that when you post something on Facebook and someone likes what you did. Like. Any honorific, right? Anything. Just, we, we love. We love that honor. And we, we're collecting it in our fat little fists, shoving honor into our pockets because we've got a career to run here. I know it's very current. I don't really actually mind selfies. I don't know if I've ever, ever taken one. You say, well, that's because of your face, Evan. Well, yeah, maybe. We get, we get more caught up in ourselves, our own majesty. <laughs> Let's pretend it's somebody else needing to take it, get a stick. And, Hold it out there so nobody can tell. Oh, I'm surprised. And handsome. We think we can handle the world. You ever get medical advice you suddenly realize was a crap? All you have to do, in case you're wondering about science, no offense, any of the scientists here, but I've read the weather reports. And they will tell me, for two weeks out, what's going to happen. They will get every single day wrong. And I still go back. Put a white lab coat on the guy, clipboard. He can tell me anything. And we're so concerned with the beauty of our life. I don't, you know, and I'm, I'm an artist. I like beauty. I like beautiful home, I like beautiful wife, I like beautiful, what else do I like? Beauty, I like beauty. But desperation as we try to live inside a world where we have stopped looking at the truly beautiful, we have to be consumed with our own strength, our own majesty, our own honor, our own beauty, because that's the story we're left with. Because we have not, verse 7, ascribed to Yahweh. O families of the earth, uh, families of the peoples, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Now, as I was thinking about, ascribe to Yahweh. I know most of you say, well, I'm not like writing my own memoirs. I'm not important. And very few of us will be that important that we would write memoirs or 
actual biography, but you're writing it right now. You're writing the story, you're trying to live the story, you're trying to have an improv play going on with you as the creator. And if we forget God, we are the, sort of the worst of plagiarists. Now we all know what plagiarism is, we're all watching out for doing it in college, where we didn't, shouldn't copy or not ascribe to the creator the due credit. Ascribe to Yahweh. Plagiarism, where you borrow a world, a whole world, without credit. I remember back when I was young, we were in Connecticut, Doug and I, singing around the campfire with guitars, with, you know, because it was the 60s. And uh, some girl there, claimed to have sang the song Greenback Dollar. I don't know if you've heard it. Claimed to have written it. She hadn't. We knew she hadn't. Because we'd heard the Kingston Trio sing it. And they weren't her. Or they weren't she. How awfully uncomfortable it is. If you, if I scribbled a little crayon drawing of myself, cut it out, pasted on a photo of the Sistine ceiling and said, yes, this is, I worked this up this weekend. My presence in the front of some hugely great work of art. We don't ascribe to our God. The glory and strength. So we're plagiarizing a world. We plagiarize, look at them, what the liberal non-believers do. They just grab all ethics. They say, you can be good without God. No, you, you, can, you, can, you can be good, but you can't claim to be sensibly good, where you know why you're good and why good is good. You have to ascribe to God, the transcendent purveyor of judgment and morality, is the only reason good exists. We can't plagiarize any longer. We're writing. We're his, we're his people. We're writing the story of our God. You are a part, the objective reality in which you belong. You belong, you are a subjective agent in an objective reality. You're part of the objectivity. You're one of the lessons. You're either the lesson of God's mercy and grace where you're showing the world what it's like to be saved and forgiven or you're twice as fit for hell. We so easily get caught up in our own biography. Now, One of the reasons I was thinking about the idolatry that the God is greater than the idols because they're worthless. They're finally expressed. There was no idol of God other than what Aaron did in the wilderness, the golden calf. He claimed that was Yahweh. But there is, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was no idol. And that's what bothered the Romans. They said, you guys are atheists. I mean, they accused Judaism of atheism because there was no idol. No graven image. But those that have graven images, those are generally just, well, you ever have a friend who bought a Camaro or a Trans Am? 
usually a Iranian, back when Iranians used to come over here to school, they'd buy Trans Ams. Well, muscle cars, any sort of thing like that, you're, you, you think con com it's compensatory? You're, you're compensated. You're trying to man up. You're trying to prove you're somebody you're not. I think sometimes the idols come across that way because Yahweh stares at you, Romans 1, in everything that is made. His infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. I don't need to impress you with a statue claiming to be the God. But lesser gods do, because they've got a lot to prove. And we create religions and services that go before those gods because it also is compensation. But God doesn't want that kind of thing because we're dealing with stepping beyond. We're not just stepping into metaphysics and excitement of, of the possibility of a spiritual world going on here. We're stepping back another hundred yards and looking at the whole thing and going, and he made all of that. This is a different thing than one of the localized deities who needs to prove something with this priest scurrying around and doing lighting candles and the like. I have Micah 6, 6 here on the left-hand side. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The right response, we not, we not only, when we, when we realize who made the stage set you're on, who made the body you're walking out onto the stage with, who wrote the goodness and the judgment of the evil, who wrote the gospel, who brought you forgiveness. You realize that, my gosh, I maybe better check in with him as to my lines. I better check into him with what is good, justice, kindness, and to be a little humble about this whole procedure. Because you are an actor in his kingdom. And you're not supposed to be spoiling the scene or hogging the limelight. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Yea, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the wood sing for joy before Yahweh, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. This, this pulls all objectivity down to the last moment. What do you do with the objective actual? You know you're never going to escape the subjective um, 
assessment that your senses make. You are in it as a subjective reader. But your subjective presence is part of the objective whole. You're part of my objective reality. You're out there. Getting this straight, ascribing to Yahweh, knowing what you are guilty of yourself, what God's power has done, knowing that all of nature, you'll think of Romans 8, right, where he says, all creation groans, waiting for the adoption of sons, the resurrection of the body. We groan because we recognize the same thing. This participation in the reality, once you have the reality figured out, once you start giving credit where it is due, you take on your responsibility. Say, are you trying to say we just have no responsibilities but to run around and, and be little puppets for God? No, he wants you to take on your responsibility from his hand. You are his lieutenant. It is his kingdom. When you're part of the kingdom of God, you do what the king says. You view the kingdom as he views the kingdom, and, you, and the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Now, as I was thinking about the end of this, you got this, you got this possibility. You are really an agent. You are really an agent who gives credit where it is due. You ascribe to the creator the things that the creator deserves. You live in faithfulness to what he wants because you can't escape it. Or you create a worthless little life that only convinced you for the time being how important it was because it was you. You were the hero. Everybody's supposed to play to your lines. Everybody's supposed to credit you. And you made a graven image. Um, and we call ourselves Christians, and we're still chasing after something we made of ourselves as if we're, it were the centerpiece of objective reality. Let go. Walk humbly before your God. Recognize that uh, you have a lot to do. You can get a lot done. You can actually achieve quite a bit. God bless it. But as servants of the living God, always ascribe to him the glory and the majesty. Let's thank him, your son. Dear Lord, we're grateful. It's sometimes hard to think with the temptations to be about ourselves pressing on us. We'd ask that you would remind us of you and the things to ascribe to you. Thank you for sharing your world with us that we can walk on its stage. We ask that we would faithfully serve your kingdom. In his, your son's name we pray. Amen.